The Fontenelle Final Bell Podcast is presented by Fontenelle Hybrids. The solutions you need, the relationships you trust. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Mike Zuzolo joins us with Global Commodity Analytics. And Mike, it's been really interesting for our producers. We've got blizzards to the west. I actually watched a segment with a cattle producer on the Weather Channel as he talks about calving in that type of weather. Then you jump just eastward and there's a lot of flooding conditions, a lot of issues there as well for our cattle producers. But the joke, in, and I mean this in a joke, as producers yesterday as we were sandbagging, somebody said at this rate, we're not going to be in the field till mid-April because they know how wet it is and a lot of field work hasn't been done. Yeah, and I think the good news about that, Susan, is that we've got a couple things starting to work in our favor as far as price action in the grain markets. I, I have to say, first off, we should not have gone down as hard as we did in the wheat market. I think this is where... Um, and, I, and I've talked a lot about this at midday on the Rural Radio Network here this week, so I won't belabor the point, but I really think that a lot of the price action we've seen up until uh, Tuesday's market, Tuesday's close, Tuesday night's Globex market, was really hinged upon fund liquidation, fund selling that had more to do with Brexit and currency markets and really nothing, next to nothing to do with fundamental supply demand. And the reason I say that is because at one point, by the time we got to Monday, Tuesday's close, we were about a dollar and a quarter below the USD average cash price for both new crop hard red wheat and new crop soft red wheat in certain parts of the country. And there's just no reason <clears throat> that I can give that can uh, be uh, justified to producers uh, for why that would be at this stage, especially given this weather pattern we're in. Because guess what? A lot of the wheat that's planted in this country is in river bottom ground and low lying areas and very flat areas. and a lot of people say you can't drown a grass, but at this time of the year, it has been done in the past. So I think we are now starting to see daylight, no uh, pun intended there. I think the market is actually ramping up for the end of the month acreage report. And what you're talking about is starting to move from the far back burner to towards the front burner. And I think coupled with that is that the funds have done their thing, I believe, at this stage of the game as far as pressuring the wheat so hard as the March contract went off the board today. So what I'd be looking for between now and the end of the week is a turn higher. A, a, uh, a, a consolidation would not be a good thing at this point. I would want to see a, uh, a serious turn higher, a market that did not really want to look back at this point. And what would really please me is to see both the corn and the wheat especially take out last week's highs on a closing basis on Friday. I think that sets us up for getting the funds out of the way as far as being party crashers as we get closer and closer to that end-of-the-month report. Well, you know, you, you talk about that end-of-the-month report, and as I talked to a few growers up in North Dakota, there's a lot of snow on the ground there, and there's a lot of spring wheat that's growing up there. Does it make for some nervousness for the wheat complex as a whole? I think it should, and I think it should make for some nervousness for the soybean complex uh, as far as increased acres out of the southern parts of the delta areas and you know louisiana mississippi arkansas those numbers will start coming out here in the next couple of weeks as far as planting progress and while texas is probably well ahead of schedule at this point i really question whether the delta states are really getting their corn in the ground and getting their cotton in the ground and that really bodes negatively 
for the soybeans. And so <clears throat> what I see when I see USDA's acreage base at 92 million for the corn and 85 million for the beans, I think those are benchmark numbers that that's the top end number for the corn and more like the bottom end number for the soybeans given this weather pattern and, and given especially what you're talking about with the uh, spring wheat in the northern plains. And I have to remark one of the things that the Europeans uh, noted last week, one of the, I think, private estimates that came out either from uh, the, the International Grains Council or someone along that line talked about how there was less winter wheat planted in Canada, but they were going to sure make up for it with a lot of spring wheat plantings in the Canadian uh, provinces of Saskatchewan and Manitoba. I just don't see that happening at this point. So, again, I think the commodity that the trade thinks has the excess supply and is the easiest one to pressure because of the funds and the currency markets, that's our key right now. And if we can get a low in the wheat market, I think upside price targets in the corn that I've been promoting uh, with my client base and with my subscribers of that 425 to 445 area for December futures, I think those are still very valid target prices at this point. I, I would love to say that a trade agreement is right around the corner, but we can discuss that if we want. Question before we, we look at that target price. Are we seeing more pressure then on this report at the end of the month because yes, of all I the adverse weather? Yeah, exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth. If the weather straightens out and we have a 10-day dry, uh, dry period here, really regardless of the temperatures, I think the trade will back off wanting to put weather premium, planting premium into the prices. And that, that is a possibility. Some of the weather models this afternoon are projecting a lot drier bias the next 10 days. I would say, though, after watching weather models for over 20 years, um, after being you know, taught by a, a brother that is a meteorologist for many, many years, after working with a lot of private weather forecasters and, and meteorologists, these weather models probably haven't, got, haven't gotten that much better, especially when major systems are coming through, especially historical systems that we just saw come through Colorado and the Plains for this time of the year. So I'm going to wait another 48 hours before I really take much uh, uh, certitude or take much confidence in, away from the models of the 10-day outlook. Is there some target prices, though, that we need to kind of keep in mind? Yeah, I think that four and a quarter level to 445 level is a price level that I would really look at getting some corn hedging done. I, I would say that especially given that I've bought uh, and recommended buying for producers 450 and 430. Stick around, folks. We do have more coming up here on the Fontenelle Final Bell. We'll finish taking a look at the grain complex before we do go over to the livestock and see if this weather is playing any factor in the trade as of late. It is the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield being joined by Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Analytics. Let's look at this corn market, Mike. I know we do have the report coming out at the end of the month and that's a, a factor everybody's looking into, but it sounds like we're seeing some dryness in the short term for South America, especially in Brazil, as they deal with those double, double crop acres. Yeah, the safrina crop is not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. I would even add to that the Argentine crop is in some pretty key uh, grain-filling areas as well in some key provinces too, Susan. This is one of those markets that, again, like the because of the wheat in part and, and the wheat-corn uh, spread collapsing, I think the corn has pushed into 
a discounted price, in, in, in including U.S. weather, South American weather, feeding demand, whatever you want to call it, supply demand-wise. Certainly, I did not like the fact that USDA cut the export number uh, on their report last week. I could see why they did it, but I think they were premature simply because of the fact that we don't have that South American crop in the bin yet, and that's what's supposed to come in around May and steal a bunch of our exports. If that doesn't happen, though, our trajectory of being 30% more uh, in terms of total exports accumulated year-to-date versus last year probably won't work down that much, and we will end up at that stage of the game needing to ration some corn, and that is done simply through higher prices. And so this next 30 days is really critical for the corn. I guess what I would say to producers, and I'm writing my monthly newsletter right now, uh, talking about and gaming out the likelihood or no likelihood of a U.S.-China trade agreement before the March acreage report at the end of the at the end of the month. What I'm going to go ahead and recommend doing is moving ahead on rallies to get the soybeans locked down pretty much 100% of insured bushels by the end of this month. If I can reach my price targets of about 25 to 40 cents higher in the November beans, so. 955, 970, 975, maybe top end would be the areas that I would really be looking at getting some hedges in place. Then I would want to swing back around and look at the corn, see what price it was at. Otherwise, just kind of wait maybe another 30 days, see if the wheat can't build a little bit more premium and give that corn the chance to hit those overvalue levels we talked about in the first segment. Curiosity, as we jump over to the livestock side, we do know that Mother Nature is definitely keeping everybody on their toes. Is this having much of an effect on, on the feeder prices and the cattle prices in general as we look at those the feedlots and the snow conditions? Not right now. I, I think everybody is pretty much in the dark right now how we're going to come out of this winter. I think you'll probably get a good sense of what type of feedlot numbers we have and what has been lost by the time we get to maybe a week from today. I, I would expect that you'll get enough uh, warm-up and enough change in the weather that boots on the ground will be able to get out and take a look at what we have in feedlots. It sure seemed like that Packers willing to uh, offer to set, offer to buy at 128 or bidding to buy at 128 um, was a surprise that was about a dollar, dollar and a half higher than what the price was uh, just a week ago. Maybe they saw this coming and wanted to get some uh, uh, head locked down. I think one good thing that's going on for the fat cattle is is the weights, the fact that we're down seven, eight pounds versus last year on the weekly report last week. And the other bigger thing that's really supporting the fat cattle, I think, other than the weather, uh, is the issue with the pork and the hogs and the fact that China did come in and buy almost 50% of all of our uh, pork export sales for the week. And we had a 50, over a 50,000 metric ton pork export sale uh, on the weekly export sales from this morning. So I think fat cattle have some support underneath them. Do I think fat cattle have a 130 price tag in front of them or a 122, 124 price tag uh, in front of them for the June? I don't think they have that type of price tag in place unless the hogs really take off. Um, I think we're probably up towards the top end of the market for the fat cattle. I think your question about the feeder cattle makes me think that we're on the low end of the of the spectrum in the feeders, especially those April feeders trading at about 144, 143. I would not look for much more discount to come in these spring feeders given the winter weather we've had. So 
I remain pretty uh, pretty much a hedger in fat cattle, um, pretty much a hedger for long side in feeder cattle at this stage of the game. Is box beef going to continue to trade to the lower side? I think it will. I think we got ahead of ourselves because of the pork price not coming down. We are in that seasonal for the Easter market, and uh, you know, as we are deeper deeper into Lent, we tend to feature more pork. I've seen a pork price come down quite a bit, especially on the uh, boneless uh, tenderloins, boneless loins, cut loins. Those things are really coming down, and I think they've dropped probably 40 or 50 cents a pound in the last four or five weeks on the retail featuring. So I think the box beast probably at the top end for right now. Sounds good for us to get a hold of you, Mike. You know, the best way is to uh, sign up for a trial and uh, mention you and the Fontenelle Final Bell, and I'll send you a complimentary copy of the monthly newsletter that I'll have out this week. It should be a real good one because I'll be talking about how to hedge this 2019 crop. It's been the Fontenelle Final Bell, brought to you by Fontenelle and all the local dealers on the Rural Radio Network.